everybody and welcome to the Mirror Football Podcast. We know our Champions League finalists and finally, after say quite a few years, we have an English team there. Liverpool will be taking on Real Madrid in the final. Uh, to look back at the semi-finals and also look ahead to the Premier League this weekend as well as the Championship final day, uh, I'm Aaron Flanagan and I'm joined by Alex Richards. Alex, how are you doing? Afternoon, Aaron. Not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, very well, thank you. And James Whalen. How are you? All good, mate. All good. Good stuff. Um, as I say, we'll start with the Champions League and we will start with Liverpool. Uh, first of all, it's great to have an English team back in the Champions League final. Yeah, and, and they did it in some style as well, didn't they? I think, um, obviously taking a 5-2 lead to Italy for the second leg, it, it's a relatively comfortable position, but you know we know the Liverpool side, we know they, they can concede goals just as readily as they can score them and we knew it wasn't tie over but you know although the, the score line says 7-6 on aggregate personally I didn't feel like Liverpool were ever in any trouble last night they got the early goal that settled the nerves um, obviously Roma have probably put a little bit of gloss on the score line with a late penalty not a penalty for me although they should have had one earlier in the game uh, but yeah it's great to have an English team in there it obviously gives a, another dimension to the season for, for us and for everyone else yeah, as a Liverpool's performance uh, last night wasn't quite as emphatic as the first leg, where obviously they ran into this incredible five-no lead, but uh, they got the job done. Yeah, uh, I'd echo James's sentiments. They never looked like being in any real trouble. It never looked really in doubt that they wouldn't be in the final. Um, looking back, it's kind of a shame that there wasn't an extra five minutes on the clock at the end. Would have been very, very interesting. Um, but as I said, you know, five-nil in the first leg, they romped into that lead. 2-1 at half-time, they were leading last night. They were a cut above Roma. The overall reflection, 7-6, goal fest, is that you know they can score goals galore, but they'll still concede. Um, but they were comfortable throughout. You know, yeah. Always felt like they had an extra gear to go into if necessary. Does the fact that they conceded four goals actually come as a major concern for Liverpool? Or, or is it still their, their scoring power... Overwhelm? Does, does that overwhelm the fact that they uh, obviously are likely to concede? I think um, again, you know, they did they did concede four goals on the night, but I, it, it didn't feel like a bad defensive performance to me. I, you know, there, there wasn't there weren't too many like glaring errors. I think Trent Alexander Arnold, who has been an absolute revelation this season, had a difficult night. Um, he could have very easily given away a penalty in, in the second half. Probably the best save of the game, tipping the ball over the crossbar with his hand. That somehow the referee missed it. But other than that, you know, I think Andy Robertson on the other flank was arguably Liverpool's best player on the night. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk was was sort of his his, his reliable self. And um, although they conceded four goals, it seems a strange thing to say. I didn't actually think it was that bad a defensive performance. And 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 as we've already touched on, they were never really in trouble. I didn't think it was that bad a defensive performance in terms of the back four, but they gave away a lot of chances. Roma were able to get to the back four pretty easily last night, I felt. And again, I, I didn't think Milner or Henderson or Wijnaldum had anything that was much less than a 6 out of 10 game. But Roma created chances. And Real Madrid in the final, if they're given that amount of time in and around the box and, and are able to get to that Liverpool defence that easily, they'll be punished. Um, obviously, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was missing from that Liverpool midfield. You mentioned the midfielders there. Is there any suggestion that maybe they missed him? Um, are Liverpool a weaker team when, when he's not there? I think they do miss him because the evolution of Liverpool this season has seen Mo Salah, you know, the goals that he scored. He's gradually moved from that position out on the right and he plays that little bit narrower, that little bit more further forward, basically just standing in between the opposition fullback and the centre-half, going through that gap and not having to chase back so much. And what Oxlade-Chamberlain has been doing in the centre of midfield is playing as a central player but also drifting out to that right and doing those, some of those defensive duties, basically play, been playing a dual role. Um, without him, they don't really, Wijnaldum tries and you know you can see the logic in Milner as well that both are in theory capable of doing that but neither quite does it as well as he has this season and so I think it kind of allows, we saw Kolarov getting forward a lot last night from left back for Roma. I think it allows that little bit of space and that gap that the opposition can go and exploit. And if you're looking at the final, there's no better left back at going and exploiting such gaps as Marcelo. That that would be a big worry, as you know. We mentioned Alexander Arnold, who was always defended on that side, had a had a tough night, uh, and Kolarov was a big part of that. 
Um, not only Marcello, but you know, if Real opt to play Ronaldo off the left, he's he's gonna he's gonna have a torrid time. You'd think against um, Trent Alexander Arnold, so that would be a concern for Liverpool. But I think ultimately they just have to go with the belief that they're gonna score more goals than Real Madrid. And you know, the way Liverpool have played this season, I, I wouldn't bet against that. Yeah, and you've got to remember Real Madrid do concede goals as well. Um, so you look at the the game against Juventus in the quarterfinal. Obviously, they went three goals down. They went one down early in both games. Uh, against Bayern Munich, I know they were able to recover, but there is a suspect. I can't get my words out. <laughs> suspicion. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't get. Right. Uh, there is a suspicion that Real Madrid will um, will concede goals. There is, but I mean, at the same time, Rafael Varane and Sergio Ramos are two of the world's best defenders. It's it's actually, a, I think, a sim- similar situation as with Liverpool in that you can get at their defence. The midfield allows you to play. And what was noticeable against Bayern the other night was Casemiro didn't play. And suddenly it was very easy to get at their defence. He's an integral part of that side now in terms of shutting down opposition. You'd think he'd have to come back into the side. I think when when he came on in midweek, there was there was a noticeable change in Real Madrid. Mateo Kovacic, who started in that, um, in that role, was, was pretty poor, wasn't he? For, for the time he was on the field, and um, if Real are to to win this, what would be a historic third Champions League in a row, then then that's um, probably probably one of the one of the situations they're going to have to address. Yeah, I, th- I think he's guaranteed to play. I, he has to be. Um, Zidane gave his reasons the other night for Kovacic starting, saying he wanted him to be on the ball and to he felt it was the right time for him to play. It really doesn't wash that much. Casemiro is in their best eleven, and and, and when you guaranteed. when you're playing alongside Luka Modric and Tony Cruz, you don't you don't necessarily need someone who's the best technical footballer in the world. You need someone who's going to protect that back four. And you and want Casemiro, someone who will allow those two to flourish. Exactly, and I think Casemiro, is, you know, he's arguably one of the top three or four players in the world in that position. So yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, back to Liverpool. Um, I spoke a little earlier today to Andy Dunn, the Daily Mirror chief sports writer. Uh, about kind of the experience of going to him, obviously there was a lot of, um, as I say, concerns heading into the fixture, uh, heading about fan trouble uh, following the incidents at Anfield. Uh, Andy spoke us through uh, what the atmosphere was like in Rome. Andy Dunn, really appreciate you joining us on the Mirror Football Podcast, uh, live from Rome. I say you're, you're on your way back uh, from the Champions League semi-final clash. Uh, first of all, Andy, how was the experience for you? It must have been a, 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 an amazing night. It was. It was an amazing night, an amazing atmosphere um, within the stadium. The local Rome people said they were going to turn it into an inferno, the Stadio Olimpico into an inferno. And that's what it was. It was an inferno of noise, an inferno of colour. Um, and the Rome fans, you have to give them credit. So, you know, At the end of the game, when their team had been eliminated from Champions League, they stayed behind, they sung as one. Um, the Liverpool fans were brilliant. All in all, it was a, a, a sensational atmosphere. Inside the stadium, once everyone was inside the stadium and safely inside the stadium. Yeah, obviously we mentioned uh, getting fans inside the stadium. A lot of the talk in the build-up to the game was uh, down to the fan safety. Uh, obviously, following um, unfortunate mm. events uh, at Anfield um, a week previously, was there a sense of heightened security uh, around the ground? Absolutely, an enormous sense of heightened security. You know, what a shame it is in, in, in 2018 that basically. Um, a set of fans, Liverpool fans in this instance, were advised not to walk to the stadium for a Champions League semi-final. I mean, that that, that just has to be wrong. You know, it's for a variety of reasons, not least what the terrible scenes that we saw um, outside Anfield um, and the terrible um, injuries suffered by Sean Cox. So I understood why the security was so intense. It was still very dispiriting to think that a set of fans, 5,000 fans, basically told that, you know, we don't think it's safe for you to walk to a football match. I still think inherently that is dispiriting. I think the pool fans took heed of the advice. Um, from what I could see, there was no um, trouble at all and they got to the stadium. What I would say is that it was then quite a while before they got inside the stadium and I think that will be looked at when UEFA debrief about the game itself is how will the pool fans um, were allowed into the stadium. I heard several complaints from several eyewitnesses saying that you know there was only three or four gates open for 5,000 fans coming through. Um, eventually, it was sorted out and, and they got in. And then, of course, after the game, 
you know, there were great scenes after the game where Liverpool fans were in there, um, in their section being kept behind. And first of all, the players came over to celebrate with them. And then about 40 minutes after the final whistle, Klopp came out on his own and celebrated with them. But they were great scenes. But having said that, they were then in there for... Well, I left the stadium at um, about 20 past midnight, so 20 past 11 New York time. So we're talking 20 past midnight. We're talking, you know, a good, you know, close to two hours after the game. And the fans were only just being allowed out then. They were shepherded onto buses and they were given a police escort back into town. So I understand why the safety was paramount. But all in all, you know, it's, it was a little bit of a dispiriting way to get to a football match and to get away from a football match. But the atmosphere inside the stadium was different class. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere sounded absolutely electric oh. on TV. So I imagine um, in person it was it would have just been on a completely different level. Uh, there, there were some nice scenes as well. A few banners from the Roma fans, I believe, uh, obviously showing support yeah. not only to Sean Cox, but also, uh, say, for the recent uh, Alfie Evans case as well. Yes, I mean, whichever way you, you view the Alfie Evans case, I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure um, that they were welcomed by some um, people in Liverpool, but, but I, I think we're, we're safer staying with the with the Sean Cox situation. And it wasn't just banners inside the ground support. I'm actually well aware ahead of the game, the Roma players trained in in t-shirts which had a message of support for Sean Cox on on the front of them. Also, fans representatives met ahead of the game in Rome um, to show their support, the Roma fans and the Liverpool fans. So, yes, I, I mean, what Roma were keen to stress, you know, which their president, um, James Pallotta, was keen to stress, which he did very colourfully in the build-up to the game, is that Roma, like I suppose a lot of clubs, are, are saying that they have an issue with violent fans, but those fans make up a very small minority of what is a very um, loyal and well-behaved fan base. And certainly those who are well-behaved, certainly those who represented Roma within the stadium last night, um, represented their club well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, as I say, we mentioned the atmosphere and, and everything. Um, mm. For a lot of the game, it was very comfortable for Liverpool. They were, they've seen them well on the way to the Champions League final. Obviously, got very, very nervy um, at the end. Was there a sense of maybe apprehension from the Liverpool fans in, in the ground when, obviously, uh, Nangolan scored his, uh, the first of his yeah. late goals? Um, and what about in the press box as well? I mean, was it getting a bit a bit nervous there that you might have to? Obviously, we know from journalist point of view, might have to be some yeah. panicky rewrites. Well, funny enough, you know, I think you could tell by the you could tell by the Roma reaction to that um, that fourth goal, Nangolan's penalty. You could tell when the ball hit the net that Nangolan didn't run and collect the ball and dash back to the halfway line. It was almost as though Roma players knew or had been told that actually that was pretty much the last kick of the game. It, it was strange. It was There was no no massive sense of urgency. Um, and so you, you got a hint and you thought, well, actually, you know what? They know that this game restarts and then it's over. And that, and that of course, was the case. But it's funny you say about it would be very interesting, the perception at home and maybe what came through the TV about Liverpool being comfortable. The, the impression in the press box and within the stadium and certainly within the press box, I have to say, was that remarkably, even after Wijnaldum had scored the second and Liverpool were then, what would they have been then, 7-3 up on aggregate, remarkably, there was no one, there was no, none of the press guys thinking, right, I can start writing this now. Uh, that is what, in a way, is indicative of what this Liverpool side is like. You know, you, know, they can, you get the impression this Liverpool team is one that can, as we know, can score goals a lot of goals in a very short space of time. And you just thought to yourself, well, you know what? They could concede a lot of goals in a short space of time. And bear in mind, Roma had 23 shots on target. And you know, every time you thought, well, it might be settling down into a, into a boring game. Mark Lawrence was sat behind me in the press box and he was doing Radio 5 country. And I heard him uh, after Wijnaldum um, scored that second goal. And I heard him tell the listeners, Liverpool can now just bore bore us, bore the pants off us for the next hour. And I turned around to look at him as if to say, you are joking, are you? There's no chance of them doing that. And of course, you know, every moment there was something happening that you thought this could change the game. Trent Alexander-Arnold's handball it wasn't given. You thought, hang on, if he gives this, sends him off, the game's changed. And even when it got to 3-2, you thought it might change. But then what I would say is the penalty, I think we all had our stopwatches on. We all knew by then that actually, you know what, this is going to be the last act of the game. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I say the uh, there was a couple of other incidents uh, in the game, refereeing related, that obviously Roma, uh, Roma's directors mm. uh, have, have been maybe quite vocal about since. Have you, in the stadium, was it clear that there were some refereeing errors at the time? Because, I mean, like with the Trent Alexander-Arnold handball, for example, Roma plays didn't look like they appealed too dramatically for it. It was only with replays or... No. Was, was there any sense of injustice from Roma's point of view at the time? Well, there was. With that one, that was interesting, that one. My initial my initial thought was, yes, it was a penalty. Um, as you say, the Roma players... Daniel De Rossi, who was close by, seemed seemed sort of half-hearted. I think Edin Dzeko just turned around and walked away. He didn't think it, it was a penalty. What made it worse then was that instantly, obviously, we get the replays in the press box, and down below us is the um, is the director's box, which is a huge place at the Olympic Stadium. We have all the Roma dignitaries, um, and it's one of the biggest director's boxes I've seen, all the comfy seats, and they all have monitors as well. And they all saw the replay, but it was quite clearly handball, um, and probably should have been um, not only a penalty but a sending off and that sort of spread in, in, in a matter of seconds throughout the main stand and sort of spread around the ground so it was one of those interesting ones that in, in you know because it happened so quickly the players didn't look as um, as angry as the crowd but they soon became allowed but, that, but you know what that was really the only time that um, I thought well that's there's an absolutely clear refereeing um, Ricky I, I remember I mean Jekyll got through on one occasion when he was Flagged offside and then not offside. Carrius brought him down. He got, he got, and the linesmen were a little bit inconsistent. But apart from that, and, and also what I would say, you know, I, I've just got a cab ride here from my hotel to my. Um, he, he took me on a on an unasked for tour of Rome before getting me to the airport. And for, the, for, the, for the whole for the whole hour of the journey, apart from having a very nice tour of beautiful Rome, for the, the whole hour of the journey, he he he's a Roma fan and and, and he complained about the referee. And if you pick up the newspapers here this morning in Rome Airport here this morning, the common theme on the front of every sports newspaper or sports pages is injustice. One newspaper just screams injustice. Now, I have to say, they have a point with the Alexander-Arnold. But over two legs, when a game finishes 7-6, if you can categorically say that one refereeing decision has led to an injustice, well, you just can't. I mean, that's absolutely impossible. You can't say that one decision changed the course of a tie that ended up 7-6 with, you know, a 100 decisions that might have gone either way. James Milner giving away a penalty in the first leg. Should that have been given? You could go on forever. But they did have a point. But to say that it was... Um, to suggest that this tie was decided by a referee mistake would be, would be clutching at the flimsiest of straws. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Absolutely, uh, Andy. Really, really appreciate you joining us uh, on the podcast. Talk us through, I say, the atmosphere and a little bit about the game. Uh, really appreciate your time, and hope you have a nice flight back. No problem. Thank you, Aaron. Welcome back to the Mirror Football Podcast, uh, Andy Dunn. We heard from there uh, just before that short advert break. Um, sticking on the Champions League. Um, Obviously, Andy there mentions um, at the end of his thing about VAR um, how he doesn't think you know anything would have particularly changed. You can't pin it down to one particular incident. However, the Roma directors uh, basically come out. Uh, I think it was Monchi, wasn't it, who came out and said uh, it will be it would have been a Bayern Munich versus Roma final if VAR was in place. Um, surely there wouldn't have been that big of a swing on the result if, say trust Trent Alexander-Arnold's penalty was given? No, I wouldn't think so. As we said earlier, I think Liverpool were the better team out of the two and they were pretty comfortable throughout, despite what the scoreline suggests at the end of how close it was. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult one because, you know, the Alexander-Arnold thing, you understand why, you know, it's clear handball when you see it on the replay and it's slowed down. But no Roma player actually appealed for it at the time. The referee didn't see it. And it, it's one of those that, OK, so it would have been given with VAR, but the game would then spin into something different. Correct. And so you can't definitively say that if we had VAR, this would have happened. You can definitively say with Bayern Munich that if they'd have taken their chances, they'd be in the final yeah. because they had so many more than Real Madrid. Especially in the first leg as well. Exactly. Um, but to, to basically put it down to, oh, if it was VAR, then the final would be these two sides, is it's... Yeah. No, not for me. I say, as as Andy said in his clip as well, um, 
you can turn it back on both teams. For example, the, yeah. Mil- the Milner handball in the first leg probably doesn't get given or gets overturned. Yeah, Liverpool had a penalty shower their own last night as well, which, again, yeah. with VAR, Sadio Mane yeah, may, may well have been given. So, you know, it doesn't wash with me um, at all, that excuse. And, you know, whether, whether you think it would have changed the result or not, we haven't got it, so just get on with it. Yeah, uh, VAR obviously going to be introduced um, at the World Cup over the summer, uh, not in the Premier League next season. Uh, but it's likely to be part and parcel of the game in for years to I come. I envisage problems at the World Cup this summer with it. Yeah. Quite quite simply, it's been used in different leagues and they're testing it. Each yeah. league has had teething problems with it. I think you're just going to get more at the World Cup. I mean, they, like we we went to an England game earlier this season when when there was a, a decision later on a penalty against Italy, and when you're in the ground, it's you have no idea what's going on. I I, I think the concern for me with VAR heading into the World Cup in the summer is the fact that a lot of these referees that are going to the World Cup will have never used it before. Exactly. For example, you are, I think there's going to be three or four referees from Africa. No African le- league is using VAR. These officials are going to be so inexperienced yeah. in using the system that it's just going to create... A, it's going to create a havoc. Because, it, because you can't pick and choose which referees get to use it and which don't. And yeah. I'm pretty sure that American referees will have different interpretations of how they use it as opposed to how Italian referees are taught to use it and how German referees are taught to use it. So we're all going to have a different interpretation through their member associations. Havoc. Yeah. yeah I, so I think it's coming It's coming in that little bit too soon. Yeah. So we, we fully expect carnage at the World Cup with that. Uh, just before we move on from Champions League anyway, and obviously the discussion on uh, Liverpool and Roma, um, the final, Real Madrid versus Liverpool, how do we see it going? Uh, if, if we were going to make a, a call and an early prediction, uh, can, can we get an English an English winner? Or from spending the whole of last evening in Alex's company, I know that we have uh, very different views on this. Oh dear! So, oh, so you, very, you, very contrasting you, views. You two obviously had a few more pints when you had this. Uh, <laughs> when you had this debate. Uh, last I think we night. actually started the debate before the points, and then <laughs> gradually it got a little bit louder and a little bit yeah. more frantic. I wondered where that black eye came from. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I caught him with a real shiner. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, right. Keep it reasonably friendly. Then um, I, I'm going to assume you're going to argue the case for Liverpool. No, sorry, Real Madrid. I mean, Aaron's pointing at me at present. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> obviously, you can't see this, but yes, that is the case. Real Madrid and James, you'll you'll yeah, be with Liverpool. Yeah. Um, briefly, Alex, argue the case for Real Madrid in the final. It's a team that knows how to win. It's a team that quite, Liverpool can score goals, but as we've seen, that defence still has that weakness about it that teams can get at it. No team scores as many goals as Real Madrid. No team has Cristiano Ronaldo. Real Madrid do. It's a Real Madrid side that have, you know, we say, oh, they've edged past Bayern Munich and they've edged past Juventus. Champions of Italy and Germany, respectively. They completely took Paris Saint-Germain apart in the second round when many were tipping perhaps that PSG would have too much for them. It's a team that knows how to manage a game. It's a team that knows how to keep its emotions in check during games, even when they're not actually in control. And it's a team that really, when those 10, 15 minute periods where games are won and lost come about, keeps its emotions in check better than any other and knows how to take advantage of an opposition's weakness. I'm glad he was brief anyway. (laughs) (laughs) He wanted me to get my point across and I thought I'd just go with it. Uh, um, James, in, um, in your kind of brief um kind of probably more brief than than Alex <laughs> um what's the case for Liverpool look I think you know we we saw in the, the last two rounds Alex is is very correct in that Real Madrid have, have beaten two of Europe's best teams well three of Europe's best teams in the knockout stages and you can't take anything away from them they've had the hard road they have undoubtedly but I'd argue that Liverpool's forward line is much more potent than that of Juventus uh, and and Bayern Munich as well, probably to a lesser extent, but both both those. About Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, yeah. Right, I take that point on board. PSG went absolutely terrible across two legs, and if Liverpool turn up and play as badly as PSG did, then they won't they won't be winning the European Cup. But um, but Liverpool's forward line, we've seen that Real Madrid can be got at. You Juve scored three, Bayern scored two uh, in the Bernabeu. This isn't even in the Bernabeu. This is on a neutral ground. So I I just think Liverpool might have that bit too much. They might go and outscore them. I could see a four-two, something like that. Fair enough. Um, just very interesting. So I've just um, remembered a, a tweet I saw last night uh, on on Liverpool and Liverpool's run to the Champions League final. And on the tweet, 
um, it uses the word glorified or the words glorified Europa League run. Um, interesting enough, uh, other than Manchester City, I kind of get it. There's not a particularly big name that they've you know had to get past. The the, the names the the run to get there: Hoffenheim, Sevilla, Spartak Moscow, Maribor, Porto, Manchester City, Roma. Manchester City City are the best team in Europe this season. Other other than Manchester City, you'd expect Liverpool to beat all of them. I think it's a Northern Whereas whereas, whereas Real Madrid, you probably expected them to lose to Juventus and you gave Bayern Munich every single chance to beat them. There's no no two ways about it. Real Madrid have had a tougher run when you look at it and you compare the team, even going back to the group stage, Real Madrid being paired with Spurs and Borussia Dortmund. Um... To say it's a glorified Europa League run, this, this, you know, this is just the way European football Manchester has gone Manchester City now. have been the favourites to win the Champions League this season from the moment a ball was kicked until the moment they went out. And Liverpool done a job on them, quite simply. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, I don't think that argument really stacks up. Yeah. It's, it's the way European football is now. You, know, you have the, the biggest leagues, where the biggest teams are and all the money goes. And if you're fortunate enough to play... Porto from Portugal, who aren't one of those, or the team that is the third best side in Italy. Sevilla aren't challenging for the Spanish title. You know, it's luck of the draw. Yeah. Liverpool have taken advantage of it. It's still games, they can only beat what's put in front of them, and they have done. Yeah, I say we, we very much look forward to the Champions League final. And I say in the coming couple of weeks, I say there'll be more and more preview ahead of that game on this podcast. We're now going to turn our attention to the Premier League. Um, and we're actually briefly going to stick with Liverpool simply because they play in the biggest game of the weekend. They travel to Stamford Bridge to take on Chelsea in what will, what could uh, prove to be something of a season-defining game for Chelsea. It's it's kind of they have to win this game if they are can have any chance of getting in the top four. Um, talking of the top four, Chelsea are they good enough to get in there? Uh, do we think, or I mean, are they good enough to beat Liverpool? Given the circumstances this weekend, Liverpool coming back from Rome um, on a high, can Chelsea catch Liverpool? Up? They're, they're certainly good enough. I mean, you know, it's only twelve months ago they were Premier League champions, and the side it's evolved, but it hasn't changed that much. Um, whether they can beat Liverpool, even as you say, Liverpool coming back from Rome and their eyes very much looking elsewhere. Um, whether they can is a completely different matter. Even if Chelsea do beat Liverpool, they will go three points behind, have a game in hand. Liverpool's goal difference remains much better than Chelsea's. Um, they're going to have to win all three games between now and the end of the season if they're going to finish in the top four, and then they're hoping for slip-ups from Liverpool and from Spurs. Yeah. I, I think Liverpool's team selection will be really interesting this weekend, actually. Um, you know, Mo, Mo Salah looked last night to me like a player that do with a bit of a rest, you know, he wasn't at his best. He obviously played against Stoke at the weekend where Liverpool drew nil nil, which sort of left the door ajar for Chelsea somewhat. Um, you know, Chelsea need to win the game. They're at home. I think Jurgen Klopp probably will make two or three changes from from the side that, that played in Rome. So there's an opportunity there for them. Um but you know ultimately it's it's still not in their hands because because of their inferior goal difference. Yeah, so it's um an interesting scenario. I mean, Tottenham, you'd expect to pick up three points this weekend. They go to West Brom. Well, not necessarily. West Brom I, unbeaten in four under Darren Moore. I was going to say, that's why I said expect kind of slowly, because West Brom can still stay up. I don't think they will. I mean, Mathematically, they can, but it's yeah. not going to happen. And they, they obviously need to beat Spurs. A, draws, a draw, they're down. So they need to win, as you say, if they have any hopes, no matter how slim. Yeah, um, I say the other fixture. The worry for Spurs, which we should probably allude to, is Harry Kane. Yeah, he did score the other night against Watford, but he doesn't look the same since coming back from injury. He does still look to be a little bit short, and his movement. There's a suspicion it, that he's been rushed back, isn't there? I think. And, yeah. Well, Kane was adamant, wasn't he? So he's come yeah. out in an interview and said, "No, no, I, I was ready." Well, a lot of a lot of the numbers in terms of his general performance, the amount of shots he's getting off, and whatnot, they're down, very down on you know earlier in the season when he was in absolute stunning form. Um, whether he's rushed back or whether he wanted to come back so soon, you know, they had an FA Cup semi-final, so you want your best goal scorer for that. Um, but he doesn't look 100%, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Watch him score a hat-trick. 
Yeah, I mean, you, you just you, <laughs> oh, you, see, oh, you <laughs> teed him up. You teed him up perfectly. There. You're, you're still triple captaining him in yeah. fantasy football, yeah. but he doesn't yeah. look hundred percent. Yeah, um, I say just quickly on the say the West Brom Spurs fixture. Darren Moore, um, as you mentioned, they're unbeaten on four under him. They're still probably going to go down, but um, just word on what a great job he's done and um, giving himself every chance of getting the job full time. As much as I mean, some reports, he's done, he's done a reports job. suggested he's probably not going to get it. He's done a terrific job. Um, the players clearly want to play for him, which perhaps wasn't the case under Alan Pardew. Well, Alan Pardew, quite simply, was there too long. He was the wrong appointment. He was there too long and. It all just, well, it's got them relegated in the end, hasn't it? But it did give us the story of the season involving a taxi at McDonald's. So thanks for that, Alan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it was uh, the best thing about that story is the fact that the, the people involved just the most unlikely candidates. So it was a, a superb story. Uh, but yeah, West Brom almost definitely down. Um, I think all of us would would really like to see Darren Moore uh, get that job on a full time basis and. Have a go at bringing West Brom back to the Premier League. Um, Going to run through um, the other fixtures, um, starting with the early kickoff on Saturday. Another team that are really uh, kind of right in the mix uh, of the relegation. Stoke uh, host Crystal Palace. Uh, Palace pretty much safe now, but Stoke um, still three points off safety and um, struggling. Last last chance saloon for Stoke if they, if they don't win, um, if they don't get at least a point, I should say. Then they're effectively down because their goal difference is so much worse than Swansea's at the moment. Even a point isn't going to be enough for them ultimately. I think that unless they win this game, you can you can cast up into the championship next season. Yeah, um, we mentioned Alan Pardew, but West Brom has been a, a poor managerial choice. Um, has Paul Lambert proven to be a, a a poor choice, or or has he done all he can with that Stoke team? It depends who you ask, because. It would appear that the Stoke board are actually quite keen on keeping him for next season, whether they go down or not. So clearly they think that he's done okay. Um, and it would appear that they think that the problems are something that he didn't have much chance of completely overturning. Um, but I've seen very little from Stoke this season. And I think we all looked at them back in at the start of the campaign when they had the, the attack of you know the likes of Shakiri. Hesse had signed. They looked very exciting on paper, but it was a lot of players who they have fleeting moments and fleeting glimpses of real quality, but they don't do it nowhere near often enough. I think that the fact they haven't really changed in terms of performances or results under two managers sort of suggests the common denominator is the players, isn't it? You know, they're, they're the ones that ultimately have to go out there and perform and and they've, they've probably let two bosses down. I think it is too late for them. I think they will get relegated. Uh, if Paul Lambert does stay on, I think the Stoke board probably will keep him on. He's got Norwich up, didn't he, from the Championship. So he's got a, pretty loyal as well, yeah, the Stoke board. Yeah, he's got a bit of experience, hasn't he, in, in getting teams out of that division. And look, I think all three teams who get relegated this season, wherever they may be, are all going to be strong next year. The thing, yeah. thing with Stoke, you know, under Tony Pulis and the initial start under Mark Hughes, very strong defensively. Got the second worst defence this season, 65 conceded. Um, they've gone away from that because Mark Hughes' remit was to try yep. and bring in more positive football. I think he finished ninth three years in a row. Yep. And since then, it was, right, we'll keep moving forwards and keep trying to go to this, but it's it's completely backfired in the end. They've completely lost that solidity defensively. Yeah. Um, so two other teams right in the relegation mix. Uh, Southampton are still in the relegation zone just by a point, but obviously their win uh, last weekend over Bournemouth um, has totally changed their situation. Um, they're on the cusp of maybe getting out of it. They travel to Everton um, this weekend. Everton, who have won two on the bounce, um, so Everton perhaps will offer a, a sterner, a sterner task there. Um, Southampton, for me, I, I feel like they, they don't score enough goals. No, I don't know about not. you, but they, they, I think that's that's where they've gone wrong this season. I think, I think we've spoken about them before that simply don't score enough goals. They spent seventeen million on um, the lad from Monaco Carrillo. in January. Yeah, yeah. I've barely seen him. He hasn't he hasn't been starting recently, he hasn't scored. Gabby Adini came in last January and looked brilliant for two, three months. He's barely pulled down any trees this season. Charlie Austin's been in and out with injuries. I think if Saints go down, it's gonna be down to the home record, isn't it? I think it's been so it's been a tough place to go in the Premier League the last three years maybe. Uh, this year it hasn't been. Lots of teams gone there and got results, so uh, they'll only have themselves to blame. So it's huge, a huge three days for them given that they go to Everton. You you can full well see Everton winning this. Likewise, Swansea at Bournemouth, you can full well see Bournemouth on home soil winning that. Then mm. the two meet on Tuesday yeah. night. Absolute yeah. 
howitzer. I say as far as um, I say as far as six pointers go, that is the definitive definition of uh, a six pointer on Tuesday night. Uh, game going to be played at Swansea. Uh, as well, that one, so uh, certainly going to be interesting. Uh, we'll just run very, very quickly through the rest of Saturday and Sunday's Premier League fixtures. Um, I say Saturday, Stoke versus Crystal Palace, we've talked about. Bournemouth versus Swansea, that we've touched on briefly. Uh, Leicester against West Ham. Watford against Newcastle. And obviously, we've already spoken about West Brom versus Spurs and Everton versus Southampton. Uh, gone to Sunday, Manchester City versus Huddersfield. I mean, I'm I, I, I don't want to sound worried for Huddersfield, but their running is absolutely minging, and that could be <laughs> that a technical thing. <laughs> well, and 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 I mean that 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 could be seven eight nil. Well, you know, them. we said we said we assumed that Swansea and Southampton, you know, you look at it and think they'd probably lose on Saturday, but if either of them win, or if both win, Huddersfield then go to the Etihad, looking over their shoulders very much, oh, and thinking. We actually need to get something if from I'm, this game. If I'm back in a third club to get relegated alongside Stoke and West Brom as we sit now, I think I'm probably going for Huddersfield. I don't see them picking up another point. Yeah. No, I say it's. Uh, so is 35 going to be enough for them to stay up? I, I, I doubt that. I think that, I mean, looking at it now, I'd say 35 is probably just not enough. 36, maybe. But as you say, James. But it would, will, will, will they pick where, up another point? Where, where, where it, it would require Swansea to get a win and Southampton to get a win. Swansea's game, Stoke, Southampton and Bournemouth, I think. You'd, you'd expect them to win at least one of those. Yeah. yeah. No, it's uh, certainly going to be interesting. So, at least the last day of the season might have some uh, some fun yeah, fixtures so. riding on it. Um, on to Sunday. Um, obviously, we're not spoke about Arsenal yet um, simply because... We are recording on Thursday. The Europa League game against uh, Atletico Madrid is a few hours away, um, and from the point we're recording. So, apologies, Arsenal fans. We we can't um, we can't congratulate you on reaching the Europa League final or commiserate with you uh, for missing out. Um, but um, it should, but, should, should but be always next year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it should be a good occasion on Sunday. Anyway, obviously, Arsenal Wenger's last home game. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I say it certainly will be. Um, uh, an, an, an occasion playing Burnley, who is looking the, like the battle they, for sixth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's looking like Burnley probably will not quite catch Arsenal into into sixth. But I don't think Burnley care. They've got European football um, anyway. What an I mean, that, what that, an nice. that would that would be the ultimate antidote to the last sort of ten years of Arsenal Wenger, wouldn't it? If in his last home game they slip below Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> no, I so say it's. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, it's just yeah, incredible season for Burnley. Uh, look forward Sean to Dyche to uh, have a pub named after him. Yeah, the, the Royal Dyche. It's got a bit of a ring to it. I quite like, I quite like the sound of that. Um, but yeah, um, I, I look, seriously look forward to watching Burnley in European football next season. Uh, I hope they get through the qualifiers of the Europa League. I really do, and not bow out to some Macedonian minnow or who was it, who was like it? West Ham bowed out to a couple of years ago. Um, it was real shocker. Astra Georgiou, wasn't it, of mm. Romania? I'll tell you what, it's going to be awkward when uh, James Tarkovsky plays in the World Cup final and then plays for Burnley in some European outpost the day after. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Congratulations, Burnley. Anyway, so it's been a phenomenal season and well, well deserved. Uh, I tell you one thing, Burnley this summer be interesting what happens with their goalkeepers given how well Pope's done this season he and getting back fit yeah both have been in, in England contention at various points and who does Sean Dyche pick as his number one and you know if he were to go with a younger man does Heaton then leave yeah I mean what, there's plenty of clubs I think in the Premier League who they're both very good keepers could do with a yeah. new keeper this summer both very good um, keepers and both worthy of being called number one yeah, so talking to new goalkeepers, say um, out of the mix that we they're playing Arsenal, there's been doubts over Ospina and Czech over the past season. Is Tom Heaton good enough to make that step up to yes. maybe Arsenal? Yes. Yeah, I think Tom Heaton is a very very good goalkeeper. Yeah, and uh, Tom Heaton for Arsenal. You heard it here first. Get your money. Um, on. Uh, done. Sven Mislin Tat, if if you're listening, and uh, we've done your job for you. There's a bit of scouting done. Um, anyway, yeah, back on to Sunday. Say so the weekend's rounded off with Chelsea 
versus Liverpool. There is a full, well, not quite full, there is a, a relatively stacked midweek uh, fixture list as well. Uh, we won't really talk into them because there's nothing particularly interesting uh, going on other than the Swansea-Southampton game, which we've already mentioned. Now, before we finish, we want to talk about the Championship because the Championship is entering its final weekend, um, I say this weekend. Uh, all the games take place... Apart from the playoffs. Yeah, apart from the players, but the final regular season weekend. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the games take place Sunday at 12.30pm, every single one of them uh, around there. You two both support championship teams, you watch a lot of the championship. Let's start off very simply, Cardiff Fulham, who's going up automatically? Cardiff, I mean, this is as much as a home a home banker as Cardiff could hope for in the last day of the season. Uh, Reading at home, I think the only concern for Cardiff is if Fulham score at Birmingham because that will put them in the live table second and they could get a bit jittery. But I'd, I'd expect Cardiff to do the job. Yeah, um, it's interesting as well, obviously, both obviously Cardiff playing Reading, um, Fulham playing Birmingham, both Reading and Birmingham can be relegated. So their opponents actually do have something to play for, which yeah. you know adds a, adds, adds a fun little spice to it. Yeah, I agree. Fulham, I think Fulham missed their chance, didn't they, with that, that late goal Brentford scored at the Cottage. Yeah. Um, we saw Fulham against Sunderland the other night, a little bit jittery themselves. Um, twice they've you say about Cardiff getting jittery twice we've seen Fulham play before them win at Millwall win against Sunderland in Friday night games and then Cardiff have responded yeah. the next day you have to expect Cardiff will get the win I think so but I do think Fulham will win at Birmingham I think that Fulham will go into this game with a little bit of pressure off I think knowing that it's not in their hands you know they're ultimately relying on a, an unlikely result in South Wales so yeah, the, the they'll, only, they'll be backed by a big following as well I think, I think the, the only hope that Fulham really have is that Cardiff, they're not the most free-flowing of sides. They rely a lot on set pieces. Um, I think Morrison scored a couple of goals last week in in the win. Um, Gunnarsson has popped up lately. Their striker, Kenneth Zahor, hasn't really... I don't think he's in double figures this season, is he? Gary Medine has really struggled since he arrived from Bolton. He hasn't scored. Um, So they're not free-flowing. They don't get goals in that way, really. Um, It's a lot of set pieces, a lot of counter-attacking with Junior Hoylet or Mendes Lang. Um, so if if Reading can hold out, you're looking 50, 60, 70 minutes, then maybe towards the end, Cardiff may not have enough to steal a win through that little bit of extra quality that they perhaps lack. But Reading are that poor that you just can't see it. You just see Cardiff as soon as they get a goal, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I say a, a a big uh, I say pat on the back to Neil Warnock as well. It pains me to say it. I'm not Neil Warnock's biggest fan, but I mean, what a job he's I done with. Him. Yeah, well, what a job he's done with. Um, just one of the most. Job. I mean, um, start of the season, an think, average squad. Start of the season, I think the best anyone thought for Cardiff was mid table. I thought, I think most people thought that around 15th, 16th would be where they finish. Completely overachieved, exceeded all expectations, and. If after 46 games they finish second, then that's because that's where they deserve to be. Correct. You've done an incredible job, and I'm sure you'll relish another, another pop at the Premier League. Yeah. I, I seem to remember, didn't he retire about like three, four years ago or announce his intention to retire? I think he's retired three or four times. Yeah. 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 It, and also, he's not he's not had a good time of it in the Premier League, has he? Fantastic manager in the Championship. Yeah. But, you know, he got Sheffield United up there, they came straight back down, albeit in slightly controversial circumstances. Uh, didn't really pull up many trees at QPR or at Palace in the top five. He's so. been, very, been very kind of outspoken about how difficult he finds managing players in the Premier League, yeah. ma- managing Premier League players. Yeah. But he much prefers prefers it in the Football League where it's players that he knows and he are more kind of down-to-earth and what he yeah. expects and what he knows he can deal with. Yeah, that would be certainly interesting to see, obviously, if they go up, how they fare next season. Uh, a quick look at the playoffs. Uh, obviously, if Cardiff go up, Fulham will be in there. Uh, Aston Villa are definitely in the playoffs. Middlesbrough are definitely in the playoffs. And then it's between Derby County and Preston North End for the final spot. Um, Derby play Barnsley. Preston play Burton. Again, very similar to the promotion race. They're both playing teams who can go down. A lot to play for. Um, can we see anything other than Derby getting in there? Bear in mind, Derby have a two-point advantage on... No, no I, think, I think Derby win. I think yeah. Barnsley are pretty poor side. Derby only need a point as well because of the goal difference, yeah. I believe. I, yeah. think, I think despite all the heartbreaks and whatnot Derby have had in recent years, I think they, they will win this game and get in the playoffs. Um, Preston at home to... But obviously, 
Burton and Barnsley are in that relegation dogfight against one another. I could see Burton getting something at Preston. Getting that yeah. getting that point that they yeah. need to put them above Barnsley. But then Bolton are at home to Nottingham Forest and I can see Bolton winning that to get themselves out and push both Barnes, Barnsley and Burton down. Yeah, Well, let's just have a, a quick look at the relegation uh, situation in full. Two teams out of five will go down. Sunderland, obviously, long gone. Absolute shambles of a season uh, as far as they are concerned. Um, currently in 23rd is Bolton on 40 points, followed by Burton Albion on 41. Outside of the relegation, you have Barnsley also on 41, but with a much better goal difference than Birmingham Reading on 43 points above that, but obviously can go down. All of all the teams in there have tough fixtures, probably, other than Bolton. Yeah. Bolton have the favourable fixture. They're the but ones who have to side with nothing to play for. Yeah. The, I just, with the thing with Bolton is they, they've got the easiest fixture, but out of those things you mentioned there, they're in the worst form. I mean, they, they, they're, in, they're, in a, they're in a terrible run. And they yeah. struggle to score goals. So I, you know, this is this isn't by any means a guaranteed three points for Bolton. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, you'd say Burton, arguably the hardest game or one of the hardest games. Preston very good at home, uh, but they but they've won three in a row. Yeah. So yeah. so they'll they'll have their tails up. I mean, they, and they're they, much better away from home than they, they actually are. are at home. The championship never fails to deliver. On the last game, you of, were going to say that last game <laughs> yeah. of every season, we have this, and it's fantastic. I mean. It's, what, an, it's what an absolute travesty there's only one game being televised. What we know... Is there? Yeah. Cardiff. Which one? Cardiff. Cardiff. So they're not showing Fulham, Birmingham or anything? What no. is the point of that? I, I, I mean... Sky have got how many channels? And no, I, I mean, like, let's not... Just... I've got Sky Sports Mix, Sky Sports <laughs> Football, Sky Sports <laughs> Premier League. Would... What right. is the... <laughs> Um, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll create some kind of multicast system so they'll, they'll show the goals. What, on so Sunday? It's, 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 the only way, it's the only way they can do it, yeah. I hope so anyway, because... Uh, I mean, if there's more than one game on live, my sincerest apologies to Sky Sports, but I believe. I yeah, believe no, I'm. I'm oh, so I've just started ranting, and you're not actually 100 percent sure. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's only, it's only the one game as well. He's, uh, he's. What well, Wally taps on his phone just to. <laughs> I'm going to search ty- this. Ty- typing out a, uh, a complaint to, to B Sky B. No, I'm just checking. Um, just check. Um, James, um, out of the relegation lot, which two do you say go down? I mean, it's it's really difficult. It literally, I think Reading and Birmingham will be fine just because it it it'd take two of Barnsley, Burton, uh, Bolton winning for them for them to drop into the bottom three, um, which I can't really see. I actually have a feeling Burton might stay up, and Bolton and Barnsley will be the two to drop. I just think I just think Burton have really got the tails up, haven't they? And Nigel Clough again continues to punch above his weight with with such a, a small club on the grand scheme of things and. If they do go to uh, if they do go to deep there and get a win, this will be one of the greatest great escapes there's ever been. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, but we I, do, can, we... I can confirm there's only one one championship <laughs> game being shown because Hearts v Celtic. But actually, that's on BT Sport. So, quite yeah. why? Yeah, farcical. <laughs> um, yeah, so talking about Burton, it was um, it was interesting. We we did a podcast. I think two, maybe three weeks ago, the one we recorded in the pub, but we talked about the championship. Good times. Yeah, yeah, good times. We, we, we got a free pass that day. Um, but um, we talked about the uh, relegation battle in the championship and we just assumed Burton were down. Yeah. We didn't even give them a chance of staying up. And they've won three in a, three in a row since then. Yeah, no. I mean, he's done a tremendous job. Their budget is so much smaller than anyone else in that league that the fact that they are going into the final day still able to stay up speaks absolute volumes for the work Nigel Clough his team which is basically free transfers and loanies plays he's begged and borrowed um, unbelievable achievement if they stay up for a second yeah. year running um, I say, as, a, as I've just asked James a question to you Alex which two go down do Burton complete that fairy tale I I think Barnsley go Barnsley for me very poor and I think they'll lose at Derby I'd like Burton to stay up. I really would, but I think Preston's tough. I could see them getting a point at Preston, which would put them above Barnsley, but then it's all about Bolton for me, and I think Bolton will just get the job done against Forest. I think Bolton nick it. It's a young Forest team. It's a Forest team with not a lot to play for. I think Bolton nick it and just about keep their heads above water. So you're saying Burton... Barnsley and Burton Burton Sunderland. go down by virtue of Bolton winning? Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm, I think I'm in the. I think I'm in a, a, a similar. But I, I think Bolton go. 
I, I, I just I don't think Bolton are very good. Burton, it's been too good, too positive for three games. So you, have, you reckon Barnsley going to stay up? I, I, I think Barnsley will just about so get it done. On, on, on account of great, the other two teams not being good enough yeah, to great, do the job. Yeah, and, and, but great result for Barnsley last week to, to put them in that situation. Obviously, um, beating Brentford uh, with a, a fluky cross, yeah. wasn't it? It'll be, it'll be a brilliant final day and then of course we go into the madness of the playoffs which will be even more spectacular. I'm looking forward to Aston Villa v Middlesbrough in a double header. Yeah, it's, no. not, it's not going to be one for pretty football but Tony Pulis and Borough and Adama Traore against his former club. Just a quick word on Wolves fluking a nil-nil last week against Sheffield Wednesday meaning that they only need a point for 100 points which would be a great achievement as well. Yeah, and they're at Sunderland the only team that bizarrely they haven't beaten this season. Oh well. So no, complete be... complete the clean sweep if they win the Stadium of Light. Yeah. As no. for the fluky nil nil comment, it was one of the most boring games I've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Wolves had a shot. I don't think Wednesday managed one. A young lad in goal for you made a really good save. Uh, yeah. Very good it, goalkeeper. It was it was walking pace testimonial stuff. Although Bob the was getting a trophy at the end. Yeah. Um. I say. Uh, uh, just just sum up Sheffield Wednesday season in three words without swearing. Totally, utterly forgettable. Okay. Miserable, disappointing, shot shy. Shot, shot shy, one word? Shot shy. I almost thought you swore then. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll can it all now. We're, we're, we're done. We're done this week on the podcast. Thank you very much if you've, if you've listened this far. Um, I really, really do appreciate you sticking with us all the way through. Uh, we'll, we'll be back uh, next week. Um, so uh, someone will. I, I I won't be here next week, unfortunately. Where but are you? Someone. I'm 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 abroad. I'm I'm having having fun, having fun, having the time of my life. Um, <laughs> no pod on tour. Uh, no pod on tour next week. The week after pod on tour. Next pod week tour. is a pod on tour. Um, no, no, next week is it next week? No, week, week, after. week after two weeks. Yeah, so next week it'll be here, but it won't be me. Week after it'll be pod on tour. Uh, more details about that to come. Um, soon. Um. But yeah, um, if you don't subscribe to us already, you can get us on iTunes, on Acast, and on Spotify. Uh, and you can, if you so wish, give us a nice rating on any of them platforms. Uh, but until next time, uh, enjoy all the weekend's action, um, and we will uh, we will be back next Thursday. <laughs>